Welcome to Recess Duty, a podcast for educators to come together to share struggles, but also celebrate successes by sharing stories and ideas in a safe and supportive environment to collaborate with one another. Here's your host, Levi Allison. Hey everyone, this is Recess Duty with your host, Levi Allison. And today we're here with Kevin O'Shea, who is an early years and environment educator with a passion for outdoor education and insect exploration. We'll discuss their journey and experiences in education. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? I'm great, Levi. Thank you for asking me to come on your podcast. Absolutely. Kevin, I was just trying, I was walking Weston earlier and I was like getting ready for this. And I was trying to think, how long have we known each other through Twitter? I think it's been probably five years. Yeah, definitely. It's been several years. I know that. Yeah. Um, and I think again, it's when I got to Asia that I connected with you. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. Was I still in Japan at that point or was I in China? I'm not sure. No, you were it's definitely been... in Japan. Oh, okay. Okay. Well then, yeah, it's been about five years, at least five years then. Because yeah, because I can about five years ago. I know because Tanya and I always say how we are like the original Twitter quote friends because <laughs> we were always in PYP chat together. Kevin, for our listeners out there, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to where you were and what is something exciting that you're doing? Okay. Well, let's see. I'm I'm a Canadian. Um, this is my 20th year in education. And I spent the bulk of, of that time, actually, pretty much all of it teaching internationally. I was an ESL teacher in Korea for a few years when I was younger. And then I spent... Um, I moved into the world of international teaching, moved to Japan, started working at a PYP school there. And I worked in Japan for almost 10 years. Uh, and then I, we, we decided, my family and I, to make the jump and go even more to go international. My wife is Japanese. So I guess... Being in Japan wasn't international for her, um, but we made the jump and we moved to China, where I spent a few years in Beijing. And now I'm in Shenzhen, which uh, for those who don't know, and most probably don't, um, is a city located across uh, the bay from Hong Kong. And I work uh, at Sheko International School. And yeah, I'm an early years teacher. I've got, a, like you mentioned, a passion for bugs, uh, <laughs> nature, ecology, conservation. So those who know me on Twitter and stuff know that I'm, I'm passionate about you know environmental education and whatnot. Uh, so I guess the exciting thing that's happened for me recently is I just uh, started working towards getting my environmental education specialist qualification. So I'm a licensed teacher in Ontario, Canada, yeah. and I'm doing some courses through university in Canada, really dipping my toes and uh, not dipping my toes, um, just jumping in full on yeah. into environmental education. So it's been pretty exciting. That's amazing. Was it your experience in environmental education through your classroom that really made you want to go and extend this learning mm. academically? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I've been, uh, I gave a TED talk earlier this year in the spring, a TEDx talk mm -hmm. called I Love Bugs. And it was all about how I use insects and entomology to connect kids with nature and conservation. I've always been really passionate about connecting kids with the outdoors through birds, bugs. I chose those two things because they're everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. even in the big city. I've always been passionate on my own about doing my own PD and learning on my own and doing more and more and more. I think, you know, I, I wanted to have that air quotes piece of paper to show that I am yeah. an environmental educator. Uh, and, you know, maybe in the future, open up doors. I'm an early edu uh, early educator now, uh, but with especially courses, I could, you know, teach kids who are older, middle school, high school. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm just wanting to see what kind of opportunities may present themselves in the future. Well, how amazing is that? And have you always been interested in outdoors and bugs? And yeah, I, yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up in rural Eastern Canada. I grew up in a little village uh, along the coast, a little fishing village in Nova Scotia. Gosh, population, maybe 800 people. Mm -hmm. And of course, being a child of the 80s, 
pre-internet, we we entertained ourselves by playing in the forest, you know, catching fish, catching frogs, building dams that we would fill with frog eggs and stuff like this. And so I guess I always had a connection with the outdoors. And then when I moved to Asia, uh, Kobe, Japan specifically, I found myself in a situation for the first time where I was teaching kids who didn't have that connection to the outdoors, big city kids. And, and most of it was because, because of geography, you know, they lived in the big city and they also had often parents who had a bit of a disconnect from nature. I took it upon myself to do everything I could to teach the kids about the outdoor world and how nature isn't dirty. Some kids say that. Um, I've heard, you know, I've heard some parents say that too. Um, but it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. No, that's, it's amazing. And I was just telling you earlier that your pictures and your students' explorations on Twitter have really made me take my own kids as a music teacher outdoors so they can go sit by the trees or sit under the trees and bring me a leaf with an ant on it and make a little song with ants. And it's just, it's really amazing to see the wonder light up in their eyes when they are outdoors. And that's, it is amazing. So for you bringing that wonder for outdoors to your students, what was one of the first things they noticed or wondered or light bulb moment for them? I think, and this goes not just for children, but it can, I've also heard this from adults and, and you know colleagues is that a big part of really kind of exploring the natural world is taking the time to really stop and look. Mm -hmm. So for example, when I'm looking for bugs, my students would see me stop by a tree and just kind of stare at the tree and look at the bark and the textures and kind of look under this and under a leaf. And they would just see me standing there quietly looking closely. And they would wonder, what are you doing, Mr. O'Shea? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm looking for something. Well, what are you looking for? I don't know. Something cool um, that I oh. might find or I may not. It would get to the point where I can remember teaching in Japan where maybe I was on recess duty and I'd be outside in the yard and I'd stop by a tree for a moment and start looking at it. And within moments, there would be a crowd of children forming around me. And they're like, Mr. O'Shea, did you find something? And maybe sometimes I would. I'd pull off a caterpillar or a beetle or something like that. And then other times I'd be like, no, still looking. Um, but, you know, it was really cool. I can remember having a colleague up in Beijing who I worked on the same grade two year team with her. And her saying that after working with me for several months, she was starting to stop and look at things more than she ever had before because of watching me do it. I think those are the light bulb moments. Like the big thing is to just, for me, it's amazing what's out there in the natural world, even in the big city. It's amazing what lives under a rock or on, on a tree. If you just stop and take the time to carefully look. Absolutely. And I, I remember a colleague and I cannot look for the life of me. Maybe you can help me. She would always read this book about how ants are rather small, but they are still a living organism and how she would use that book to teach empathy and compassion about not stepping on ants. And I just remember her being so excited every year for this lesson because it was one of the best lessons that she felt she did because it opened the door to the outdoors and they would always start looking to take care of the outdoors. It was amazing little side thing that they did. It was really helped everything in fact. So for teachers who are trying to get more outdoors, where should they look? Is there some resources? Are there some people they should look for inspiration? Where do you find inspiration? Oh, wow. Where do I find inspiration? You know, one great resource, by the way, that'll pop into my mind about the kind of outdoor learning and stuff is the Children in Nature Network. So you just Google that and go in Children in Nature Network. There's a great website. There was a book that I read years ago, which was another kind of spark lighter for me called Last Child in the Woods by uh, Richard Louvre. 
And that book talked all about nature deficit disorder and how we are having now generations of children who not only are kind of ignorant to the natural world, but afraid of it. So he is the person who runs that website. He started the Children in Nature Network. So that's a great resource right there. For me, I suppose, inspirations, a lot of a lot of science. I'm really into science. I love science. So, you know, I can't name any rock stars offhand, but like when I think of Twitter, we've mentioned Twitter several times. I not only follow educators, but I follow a lot of wildlife photographers. And those people are inspiration to me. The people who take beautiful pictures of birds and of those in the macro photos of insects, um, those people are inspiration to me for sure. The the teachers who want to get outside with their kids, they're inspirations to me too. And that's the thing when it comes to starting, uh, you know, nature, or I should say environmental education, you know, outdoor education is just a piece of the wider umbrella of environmental education. You know, environmental education is something that doesn't just happen outdoors. It happens inside the room. When you're watching a video, when you're reading books um, to the children about, you know, wildlife and this and that, But getting outside, and it doesn't have to be somewhere fancy. It can just be outside in your schoolyard. And like you mentioned, to just even to start with just doing something outside. It doesn't have to be, all right, guys, we're going to save the world and save all the birds and bugs. (laughs) It could be a matter of let's, let's just go outside and sit down under some trees and have quiet reading time. Or let's play a fun phonics scavenger hunt outside, you know, on the schoolyard. And, um, there are just so many activities that when the weather permits um, or the environment permits um, can be simply just done outside instead of inside. And, and the kids are so much happier. You know, it, it's wonderful to have a great classroom with a beautiful carpet and a beautiful environment inside. That's great. But I can tell you a lot of kids are happier, in my opinion, to be able to get their books and go outside. You know, no, absolutely. I would agree with that. The first time that I tried doing something outside and I said, OK, let's grab our xylophones and go outside. You would have thought I asked them to like build me a bridge. They were like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, we're going to go and play xylophones outside. And they're like, what? <laughs> so it was really amazing. And it was, it was a learning opportunity for us all. And it, and it was like, where is a good place to play? Well, probably not in the sun. And it was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. You know, you talk about a little bit of action about how you don't have to save the planet where you could just be little actions. And I think we, when we think of taking action in our inquiry cycle, I always think that everybody wants to make it a big thing. Whereas taking action can come in several different ways. Have you noticed over your 20 years of any students taking action so far? Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, now I've spent the majority of my career teaching younger children, um, you know, early elementary, early primary, uh, kindergarten, I've seen children take action. Um, you know, for, I'll just use an example of, of like my own, my own son who, uh, is now in grade six, but when he was in grade four, just before the pandemic happened, obviously they were having all of those, those wildfires that were going on in Australia. And it was all over the news, the things that were the horrible things that were happening with koalas and their habitat being destroyed and koalas injured and dead. Um, so, you know, my son and my daughter who she's a few years younger, he would have been fourth grade at the time. And she was first grade, they took it upon themselves to uh, make origami koalas and to make bookmarks. And they sold these bookmarks. I didn't really sell them. They asked for donations for bookmarks. And they raised um, a fair amount of money for a koala charity in Australia. Aww. And we, we sent that money to the charity. And it was a fantastic 
feeling. I'd hoped we could have celebrated it while we were in school, but unfortunately the pandemic happened and the school closures. But that was a, a great example. And I really, of course, supported him. Um, I've seen great great things with students doing PYPX, you know, the fifth mm-hmm. graders. Um, you know, you'll see some incredibly driven kids who, you know, have some fantastic ideas about conservation. A lot of kids focus on bees these days, which is a wonderful thing to look at. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, over the years, I definitely have seen kids taking action. And that's one of the beautiful things about working in a primary years program school is the emphasis that's put on taking action. The one thing I would like, I'm going to add this though, and this is something that came up at a sustainability committee meeting I was at recently for my school. One thing I would love to see with teachers who are in PYP or anywhere in any type of school setting is to not just do that environmental education, outdoor education during a six-week unit of inquiry. Yeah, we all do it during sharing the planet. And then it's done. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people who start gardens and will grow like tomatoes and stuff. And the day that unit's done, they walk away. Yeah. <laughs> and there goes everything. Um, I would love to see just that kind of learning happen all year long. Yeah. You know, because... You, you can you can do activities for uh, how we express ourselves or where we are in place and time. You can do that outside too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. And what an amazing way to turn that six-week unit into a full year long unit and show the growth of knowledge from August all the way to May. You know, you brought up the yeah. pandemic. How has the pandemic of teaching early years, outdoor education, all of what you do, how has it changed over the last couple of years? I mean, to start with, we've, we've all had so many restrictions, obviously, yeah. you know, so one thing I think of, first of all, a, a personal thing that happened was I was supposed to go to Hong Kong last spring and do my forest kindergarten leadership training for a week in the mountains of Hong Kong territory. And that didn't happen um, because of border closures and the pandemic. And of course, right, you know, that makes sense. But I think, you know, we were just really limited with what we could do. And when things went online, I mean, you know, I was actually, I ended up being in Japan and my students were scattered around the world. I think um, my, the, the year, it, well, last year, last spring, I had kids in eight different countries and I was in a different country. So, you know, the challenge was how, how can I try to connect kids to the outdoor world if I'm, if we're on a laptop, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of thinking outside the box, a lot of trying to educate parents and encouraging parents to get outside um, with their kids when they could. Now, luckily, we are in China, and um, China has the ability to restrict things maybe more than in other places. We'll just say that. And because of that, we actually live pretty normal lives here. We are able to, I'm able to get my kids outside, you know, whenever I want. Um, And things have kind of become a bit more normal now. Um, So it's taken a year and a half or more. But we're, we're kind of at least where I am here at my school and in the city of Shenzhen, things are pretty normal. You know, I think kids suffered last year. A lot of the kids who do the week without walls in PYP, the grade fours and fives, mm-hmm. that didn't happen last year. So they didn't have that experience. Yeah. But luckily right now, like our grade fives are right now doing their week without walls and they're, they're able to enjoy that. So yeah, so it's been a roller coaster. Oh, absolutely. And I, I always ask how everyone's doing with the pandemic because it is really interesting all the various ways people are doing with it because like, you know, here in Korea, we are still wearing masks. We're still social distancing. We're still uh, checking in with QR codes everywhere. And it is one way that we are doing it and leading normal lives. But then I have friends in New Zealand who are in total lockdown. And then 
having friends in the States, which is just having regular lives as possible. And it is very interesting how as teachers, we are all doing various things right now and helping so much of what we do. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I, it's just, it's been inspiring the past two years of how teachers have been supporting one another and especially what our Twitter PLN has exploded with people trying to connect and trying to learn new things. Was there any uh, connection that you found that was really amazing over the last couple of years? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think what Twitter brought to me over the the course of, you know, the pandemic and I spent nine months uh, outside of China, you know, because the borders were closed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think at that time, like I, I found myself doing things I never would have done before. So, for example, I was invited to do presentations to groups of public school teachers in the United States about how nature can better their mental well-being as teachers. Um, I found myself conducting a, a workshop or a couple of workshops about nature education and how teachers could utilize that with their students. Um, I found myself actually some members of our PLN um, who are in India who are under very harsh lockdowns. Um, reached out to me and I ended up doing outdoor nature walks and nature tours with their kindergarten students. So I was in Japan with a pocket Wi-Fi device and my iPhone on Zoom walking around a park showing bugs and birds and flowers in Japan to uh, a group of kindergarten students in India. Like, that's amazing. That's like, that's amazing. That is truly amazing. Yeah. And, you know, these are things where people are like, thank you for taking the time to do this. I'm like, Hey, my pleasure. I yeah. mean, I have the ability to, if I'm in a situation where I have the ability to go outside and walk around and I can connect with people who can't, I'm more than happy to share that, you know? So, um, yeah, those are some of the, the really cool experiences I had, you know, making the silver linings in a yeah. dark time. Yeah. yeah. And it is really tough. And we had Shandrani on just a couple of days ago and how she was talking about connecting and making sure students felt like they belonged during this difficult time and how the, every day they would spend 15 minutes of just reconnecting, just checking in with them because for them it, and for those around the world, it is a very difficult time and it, it is still happening. And we really have to make that mindset and perspective of it isn't over yet for anyone and yeah. making sure that we still check in with one another, check in how we're doing. And yeah, that's really it is really powerful. It is really powerful. Mm -hmm. So Kevin, before we end, is there anything that I have not asked you that you want to share? Yeah, no, just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm someone who's, you know, in the past, I've been a podcaster as well, of course. Yep. Um, I had the, the making teachers, the making better teachers podcast, which, which ended actually, that was one of the things that the, the pandemic kind of put an end in that one for me, mm -hmm. ironically enough, because of kind of stress I was having in life. It was just, I, did, I need to, to cut down on the things I was doing in life to kind of be happier with. But uh, yeah, so I mean, um, you know, the, the podcasting is in my blood. Um, I've got a few projects underway. I've got one called the Nature Talks podcast. I only put out one episode and that kind of stalled a bit, but we're going to get that going. I've got several guests lined up. That's an environmental education podcast. Yeah, the Nature Talks podcast. Again, environmental education specific. I've got another idea for a podcast too that's been swirling around in my brain, um, but I won't share too many details with that because I don't have many. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah, guys. I mean, I'm just I'm a passionate guy about the outdoors and nature. I love taking pictures, like photography, you know, wildlife photography. 
go and check me out on Twitter at Mad from Maple, and you can see what I do. I'm happy to collaborate with people and and, and help people reach out, work together um, if I can. Uh, just kind of it's what we do in our PLN. You know, we reach out to people, and people reach out to us, and we all help each other. Absolutely, and it is. I always say, and you are definitely included in this statement that like our PLN is just amazing. I started this podcast and I asked, I would say a dozen people. And within a day, I had 11 people say, absolutely. And then the next day I had another 12, all 12 said, absolutely. And it was just been amazing about the support that we have for one another, because I do believe that because we were connected pre COVID during COVID and after COVID, we've just become this super bond. And everyone gives me like little jabs. They're like, are they really your friends? Or are they just your Twitter friends? I'm like, Oh, we're friends. <laughs> so mm. like, like yeah, I have to have to clarify that they are real friends. They're not imaginary. They're real people out there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the wonderful thing about these are, you know, Twitter friends or PLN members. When you actually meet in person, you feel like, oh, hey, there you are. How you doing? There's nothing right. weird about it at all. It's so normal and natural. Yeah. You're just like, oh, there's my buddy. I'm just meeting them now in person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I cannot wait to get down to Shenzhen and see you and your school and get over to Hong Kong and see our other yeah. friends over there. So Kevin, here on the recess duty, we ask every guest member, what do you remember from recess growing up? What do I remember from recess growing up? Kickball. Yeah, um, we called it, we called it soccer, baseball, uh, but <laughs> kickball. I just have fantastic memories of playing that all the time as, as a kid at recess. That's that's the first thing that popped into my brain. Playing yeah. kickball with my friends. And what position were you playing? Were um, you I was catch- all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was all over the place. I think we we were pretty. We we took turns. We were, I can remember being in the outfield or yeah. first base, second base, all over the place. Um, I don't think I was ever really a pitcher. I don't think I was. Uh, I think people hit a lot of home runs when I would pitch or roll. <laughs> I, you, you bring up kickball or, and I just remember playing basketball all the time. And when you say you're all over the place, I remember having a buddy tell me, Levi, you're supposed to play one position. You're not supposed to play all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. That's funny. Well, thank you, Kevin, for joining this week's episode of Recess Duty. Be sure to follow us in okay. your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Levi Allison and have a great day of learning, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Recess Duty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, please share this podcast with other educators so they can join the fun. And that is the end of our recess duty.